You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on January 6th, 2019, the Feast of the Epiphany, a reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A Persian migrant told his story to a Persian pastor in the next country over. During the night, he saw a man dressed in white raise his hand and say, Stand up and follow me. And the Persian man said, Who are you? And the man in white replied, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the way to heaven. No one can go to the Father except through me. Now this man was confused about this. He didn't know what to make of it. He didn't know if what he had was a dream or a vision. And so he sought out a Persian pastor to explain this to him. And when he met this Persian pastor, the pastor listened to his story and then picked up his Bible and opened it to the book of Revelation. And what he read there was this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And the man started crying. And he said, how can I accept him? How can I follow him? And so the Persian pastor explained the gospel to him and asked him if he wanted to accept Jesus into his life, which he did, and so he accepted Jesus into his life. And the Persian pastor gave the Persian man a Bible, and he went away, and he came back an hour later, not by himself, but with ten of his friends. And he said of his friends, these friends of mine, they want a copy of the Bible too. Can you share this with them too? This had obviously changed his life. This visitation from Jesus in a dream or in a vision. Now, this man was not a Christian. He was not even a Jew. He was probably a Muslim. But the Lord visited him in a dream, and through that dream, 
God brought him into the kingdom, into the kingdom of God. And what this reminds me of is something that we read about in the book of Ephesians. We read a little bit of the book of Ephesians this morning, but just before that passage, in chapter 2, it says this. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's a pretty dark place to be. And that describes where this Persian man was before he met Jesus in this dream. But then Paul continues. He says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Today, as I mentioned to the children, is the Feast of Epiphany. And the word epiphany is a word we don't use all that often except to talk about the Feast of Epiphany. It comes from a Greek word, epiphania, which means manifestation. And another way we talk about this Feast of the Epiphany is we call it the manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles. Now, Gentiles, that's another word we don't use all too often today, but it means everyone who is not a Jew. So to the Jewish mind, there were two kinds of people. There were Jews and there was everybody else. And everybody else was the Gentiles. They were outside of the covenant of God. And the Jews were God's special covenant people. People descended from Abraham, who was their great, 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 keep going, great, 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 great ancestor. And God promised Abraham that his descendants would be a special people with a special land and that God would bless them. So there were Jews, children of Abraham, and there was everybody else. And Paul's mission in Ephesians was to go to the Gentiles and bring them into this kingdom. Because part of the message of Jesus is that the gospel is not just for Jews, but that God blessed this covenant family so that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That was part of God's promise to Abraham way back, many, many thousands of years ago. And so today we celebrate this manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles. Now, where do we see Gentiles in this story? Well, these, these wise men, these strange visitors from the East. Now, this is really, truly a, a strange story indeed. First of all, because these figures are pretty mysterious folk. We don't really know exactly where they came from. All we know is that they were wise men. Sometimes we call them kings, but they weren't kings per se. They were what the Greek language calls magos. Magos, or the word we use today is sometimes magi, which in a sense means wise men. So they were not kings, but they were likely advisors to kings. We see a couple passages in the Old Testament where some of the kings of other nations would have a troubling dream. There was a a king named Nebuchadnezzar that had a troubling dream. And so he calls together all of his advisors, people like astrologers and magicians and enchanters. And in the Greek version of the Old Testament, that word enchanter is magos. The same word that we have for these wise men in our gospel story today in Matthew. So we have these magos coming from the east. That's all we know about them. Probably from somewhere around the area of Persia or modern-day Iraq, which is also where the city of Babylon was in the Old Testament when God's people were sent out of their land. And the word magos is also the same word from which we get the contemporary words magic and magician. 
So these were people that, that looked at the stars. We know that from the story. These were people that, that probably uh, told fortunes and consulted their books and maybe said spells and kind of wizard type stuff. That's who these magos were. And it was clearly a part of God's plan that these magos should visit Jesus and bring gifts to Jesus. And we know this for a couple of reasons. The first reason is that long before the birth of Jesus, hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah says a little something about these men who would come. And we heard about it today in our reading from Isaiah. Did you catch it? Here's what it says. Just find the chapter here, chapter 60. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come, and they shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. So again, hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah the prophet tells that these men would come bringing gifts of gold and frankincense. So this was part of God's plan from a long time ago. But we also know that it's God's plan because God directed these wise men through these stars that they were seeing in the heavens to Jerusalem. God spoke to these wise men and told them that there was a king, a very important person born in the nation of Israel, in Palestine, in Judea. And he sent them to go and have a, basically a state visit. You know how, how the president sometimes welcomes leaders from other countries and they have state dinners with fancy parties and they sign documents and they do all kinds of important things with fancy china and fancy dinners? That's what this was. They heard that there was a new king in Palestine and they went to go visit him and bring him gifts. And so they went to the place that was most obvious to go. They went to the capital city, Jerusalem, where the reigning king was. And when they talked to Herod, Herod's kind of confused and troubled because Herod hadn't just had a son. There was no baby king that had just been born. And so Herod is threatened by this, and that's where the, the rest of the story comes from. We just heard all that. But what I want you to, to hear in that is that God sent these wise men very specifically to this nation. And then even more specifically, when Herod sends them away and he consults all his scribes to look in the Old Testament, what they say is the Christ is to come from Bethlehem. And so he sends them to Bethlehem. And this star that they were following leads them to the very house where the child was. It says that in verse 9. To the very house where the child was. Now, I went out walking my dog this morning, and I looked above my house. It was still very dark outside because I walked the dog very early this morning. I looked up, and there was a very bright star right over my house. And I thought, that is beautiful. How appropriate on the Feast of Epiphany to have a bright star right over my house. And so I started walking the dog, and I went to the next house. And you know what? That same bright star was right over the next house. And I went to the next house, and that same bright star was over the next house. And then I saw it over a group of trees a little further down. Now, that doesn't surprise you, does it? Because we've all observed how the, the moon kind of follows your car as you're going down the road, or how the stars, they all stay in the same place. It's the scenery around us that changes, which makes this star pretty remarkable. It wasn't just an average, ordinary constellation like Orion up in the sky. This was something that could very specifically locate 
the child right in the house where he was. That's pretty amazing. But what's even more amazing than that, to me, is the fact that God used astrology to lead these magos to Jesus. Why? Because astrology and all forms of divination were prohibited in the Old Testament. And when we look at the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, it says this. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. What were those abominable practices, you might ask? Well, it says, There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughter as an offering, or anyone who practices divination, or tells fortunes, or interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or a charmer, or a medium, or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. So God saw these practices to be so abominable that he was actually driving these nations out. He was disowning them from the land so that the the Israelites could occupy their land because of these abominable practices. Furthermore, in Isaiah, going back to Isaiah again, Isaiah the prophet talks a little bit about stargazers, and he doesn't have a lot of good to say about them. He says, Stand fast in your enchantments and your many sorceries for which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you may be able to succeed. Perhaps you may inspire terror. You are wearied with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you. Those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons make known to you what shall come upon you. Behold, they are like stubble. The fire consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. No coal for warming oneself is this. No fire to sit before. Such to you are those with whom you have labored, who have done business with you from your youth. Listen to this. They wander about each in his own direction. So what Isaiah is saying here is that all of these forms of divination, astrology, fortune-telling, all of it is worthless. It can't lead you anywhere. It's abominable before God, as we read in Deuteronomy. But even more so, it, it's, it, everybody leads themselves in their own direction. And that's the same thing about fortune-telling today. If you go and see a fortune-teller, which I don't recommend you do, but if you go and see a fortune-teller, what they will tell you is something very broad and general. Or if you open up the newspaper and you read your horoscope for your, your birth month, now, isn't that a little bit crazy that just by the month you were born in, they would somehow know what was going to happen to you this week? There's only 12 groups of people in this whole world. They divide and No, it doesn't work that way. They just give you such a broad generalization that you could picture yourself right there, and it could make sense to you. And so we read into it what we want to hear, and we lead ourselves in our own direction. Christian Healing Ministries, which is a wonderful healing ministry in Jacksonville, a couple of members from our congregation, the, the Paulsleys, work there. Uh, they talk about all of these practices of divination as spiritual adultery. In the, in the Bible, both in the Old and New Testament, the people of God are pictured as the bride of God. And so when we seek after other gods, other sources of direction and inspiration, we are committing adultery against our God. And so there's actually a prayer of confession that they lead uh, against spiritual adultery. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll read just part of it. It says, Lord, we confess 
all spiritual adultery committed against you. We renounce all knowledge gained from sources other than the Holy Spirit. We renounce all sorcery, divination, all forms of witchcraft, and all pagan and satanic rituals. All of those things are bankrupt. All of those things are worthless for us to participate in, and all of them are spiritual adultery because we're not seeking after the Lord our God, the one true God, for our direction, for our inspiration, for our salvation. So going back to these wise men, isn't it amazing that God uses a tool that he describes as abominable in the Old Testament, astrology, stargazing, It's not bad to look at the stars through a telescope. That's fine. Just don't try and get your direction from the stars. God uses this tool that he calls abominable to lead these wise men right to Jesus. Why does he do that? Well, it's because God wanted to show that the birth of this child was good news, not just for Jews, but for all of humanity. And it's the same today. This birth of Jesus 2,000 years ago is still good news, not just for Jews, but for all of humanity, for me and for each one of you. This is good news, and we rejoice in it. That's why we celebrate Christmas every year, because God came and took on human flesh to be among us. And so God engaged these magos by communicating with them in a language that they would understand, astrology. God wasn't endorsing astrology through this. This was the exception, not the rule. But God knew that if he spoke to these wise men through the stars, that they would listen and that it would draw them to his son, Jesus Christ. And so God employed a tool that was designed by Satan to draw people away from God, and he used it to draw them to God instead. That's remarkable. But it shouldn't be too surprising because this is how God operates. He cares about us so much that he wants to communicate with us in a language that we'll understand. Going back to the incarnation, Jesus taking on human flesh, that's exactly what he was doing. Jesus came and he left heaven. He left his glory there. He left the angels that served him day and night. He came to this earth to have his diaper changed and to be placed in a stable, in a manger where the cattle ate, the, the cattle's cattle, that's a plural word, where the cattle ate, He did all of that so that he could have human flesh and so we could relate to him just as I relate to you and you relate to each other. It's natural for us to relate human to human just as we do in conversation. Jesus was willing to leave the glory of heaven so he could do that for you and for me. J.C. Ryle, who was an Anglican bishop in Liverpool a long time ago, said this about the Incarnation. We learn from this, as well as many other expressions in the gospel, that our Lord had a body exactly like our own. When the word became flesh, he took on him a nature like our own in all things, sin only excepted. Like ourselves, he grew from infancy to youth, and from youth to a man's estate. Like ourselves, he hungered, thirsted, felt pain, needed sleep. He was liable to every sinless infirmity, to which we are liable. In all things, his body was framed like our own. So Jesus became like us in every way except for sin so that he could relate to us person to person and so he could be a representation for us on the cross. So he could die on the cross in our place so that he could reunite us with the Father. 
God speaks to us through Jesus in flesh because he wants to speak to us in a language we understand. We're fleshly people. Similarly, when we think about the teachings of Jesus, Jesus always taught using parables. And a parable is a simple, short story with very practical examples from everyday life that are deep with meaning. And so when Jesus teaches, he teaches not just in eloquent philosophical terms. He certainly could have. He was just as smart as anybody else. But what he chose to use is practical, simple, everyday illustrations. And so he talks about farm life. He talks about sheep. He talks about mustard seeds. He talks about crops being planted. He talks about images of the household. There's a woman, and she loses her coin, and this is what she does to find it. Or there's a lamp, and we put it on a lampstand so it gives light to the whole house. And Jesus also uses images of human relationships, of a father who's estranged from his son, or of a Samaritan man who helps out an Israelite on the road. This is how Jesus speaks and teaches. It's in images that the people will understand. Or think about that Persian man who receives a vision from Jesus in a dream. That experience that I described to you is one experience, but it's not uncommon. It happens all the time. Mission Frontiers magazine has reported that out of 600 Muslim converts that they spoke with, a whole 25% of them experienced a dream that led to their conversion. 25% of them had an experience of a white man who comes, a man dressed in white who comes and speaks to them and talks to them about himself and leads them to a Christian who can explain things further. And they're coming to Jesus in droves because of these dreams and visions. Just like God spoke to the Magos in a dream and told them to go home by another way. God is speaking to people around the world in language that they will understand. Because God loves us so much that he wants us to understand. So when we communicate the gospel today, we can follow the same example that Jesus gave us in his incarnation. Jesus was willing to become like us in every way, save only for sin, and I'm not recommending that we indulge in sinful practices to reach people. That's not a good idea. Just don't do that. But we can become like people in every other way to reach them with the good news of Jesus. This is what Paul did. Paul was the the same apostle who wrote the letter to the Ephesians, and in another letter to the Corinthians, he talks about his own missionary practices. And in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians He says, To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. Listen to this. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Now, he's not being deceptive here. He's not being manipulative. He's not telling people what they want to hear. 
He's telling them the gospel, but he's doing it in a language that they'll understand. He takes the time to get to know them well enough to know how they will hear the gospel when he says it. Just like Jesus, he knows the images to use. He knows the culture to enflesh the gospel in. And that's what God calls us to do too. We can be like Paul. Just as Jesus and Paul, we can become like other people in every way, sin only accepted. We can become like other people around us for the sake of reaching them. And so if God has burdened your heart for a certain person or group of people, how can you relate the gospel to them in a way that they will understand? We can start by asking questions. This is a technique Jesus used a lot. He asked lots of questions when he talked to people and taught them. So you can ask them, what are their interests? What do they like to talk about? How do they spend their time? And in doing those things, you can start to spend your time with them, getting to know them, building relationships with them. And building relationships requires an investment of time. But when you spend that time, and the person or people that you're talking to, they begin to know you, and they begin to know that you love them. And then they'll be more receptive when you begin to talk about the gospel. And you'll be able to communicate the gospel in a language that they will understand. My mother does a great job of this when she comes to visit us in the way that she relates to our children. She reads them books. She does projects with them. She plays games with them. She lets them choose what they want to do. And all of that helps her build relationships with them, which will allow her to have a platform to speak the gospel into their lives just as we as parents speak the gospel into their lives. It's a beautiful thing to watch. But it's the same thing whether you're dealing with your grandchildren or your neighbors or the people at the the club you participate in or the the people uh, that you play basketball with. Whatever it is that you do, There are people around you who need to know the gospel of Jesus. And by getting to know them, by investing in their lives, you will understand them and you'll be able to speak the gospel in a language that they will understand. Coming up in February, our diocese is having a training uh, for youth ministry called Engage. It's going to be in the church in Thomasville, Georgia. And this is a new form of youth ministry. It's actually not a new form. It's the same form that we find in the Bible. but it's different from what we're used to. And so if you've ever been scared by the idea of youth ministry, as in you standing in front of a group of 20 teenagers and trying to deal with them, I know that scares a lot of people. This is something completely different. This is you investing in the life of one teenager or middle school student, reading the Bible with them, praying with them, asking them questions about their life, mentoring them. And it's exactly what Paul was doing. It's exactly what Jesus was doing. It's investing in their lives. It's giving of your time, investing in them so that you can plant seeds of the gospel in their life. If that sounds like something you could do, I would love for you to come with me to Thomasville, Georgia on the 24th of February and learn how to do this. It's just another example of ways that we can do this incarnational ministry among the people in our church, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our families. If Jesus were speaking to that person, what images and parables would he use to help his gospel make sense to them? Those are the same images you can use. 
because you are Jesus' hands and feet. You are the gospel in flesh. God shares his good news person to person. And all of us are agents of this gospel. All of us are missionaries sent with a purpose. All of us were once far away, and all of us have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you loved us so much that you were willing to enter into your own creation and take on human flesh so that you could speak your good news to us in a language we would understand. We thank you that your son Jesus died on the cross, taking our place so that we might be reconciled to you. We thank you that we who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so we pray, Lord, that you would burden our hearts with the people around us, that you would show us the people that you desire for us to speak into their lives, and that you'd help us to know them in a way that we can speak the gospel in a language that they will understand. We thank you that you are never leaving us alone because you have sent your Holy Spirit into our hearts. And so we pray, Lord, that you would inspire us, that you would guide us, that you would lead us, just as you led those magos to your son, Jesus Christ. Lead us as well and help us to lead others to you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.